Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 400. Recorded live on Sunday, February 22nd, 2015. And here are your hosts, the man who's been living life as normal, Dave Play. Hello. And the man who's going to be getting back to normal today, Andy Lowe. Hi. All done with curling? All done with curling. It was about uh, 11.45 last night when I was helping people roll up the carpet, roll up the Cat 6 cable, well, sorry, Cat 5 cable that they had strung everywhere for the video cameras. And then the last little bit was to literally take take a hammer and chisel and try and knock the thing, the the hacks out of the ice. The hacks? Yes, the, the hacks are the things you push off of. Okay. And they are frozen into approximately, you know, quarter to a half inch of ice. Okay. So only the way to really get at them is to, you know, hammer and chisel it. And wow. then we uh, we tore up all the foam that was frozen into the ice, same half inch, so that the Zamboni driver could, you know, resurface. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot of physical labor last night. But before that, we actually got to play on the ice, which for equivalence, that would be like going to, I don't know, Yankee Stadium and getting to actually play a game with some of your friends. Is that the same thing? Because isn't this more like the World Series is actually played at a bunch of parks? Like, not actual baseball stadiums, but, like, local town parks? Okay, I could see that one, but, um... I mean, granted, it's still, like, the U.S. World Series was held here at this local park, and now you get to play right after everyone else has left. Yes, I see it more along the lines of... Oh, okay, so not not uh, baseball. Let's say you have the U.S. Open in golf being held not at Augusta, but at, no, Augustus Masters. Yeah, U.S. Open being held at your local golf course. And so the professionals come in with their professional grass cutters and whatever else landscaping tools that they use. So they make it perfect. And then after the U.S. Open is done, they open the course again and say, hey, would you like to play around? I could see that. Yeah, okay, so then that would be more apt. Is you're, you're playing on the same course that you know tiger woods and phil mickelson and everybody just played on which let me tell you that is a different experience than the crap we normally play on oh really oh my gosh it's it was was that much better oh yes so much better Let's put it this way. When they, um, when we tore up the foam, we actually got to see, because the, the foam basically made the lanes little pools on the ice, so they could they could level those things out, no problem. One corner had about a sixteenth of an inch between between the, the, the ice level uh, inside the sheet and outside. You go down about, let's see, it's a uh, hog line is... 16, about 20 feet from that point. So just 20 feet down the ice. The The sheet of ice is 150 feet long, or 100 feet, long day. Um, it was already about, I'd say, at least half an inch difference. So half an inch over 20 feet? Yeah. So that, That's what we would normally be playing on. It's something that bad. So it's like, wow, you actually, you know, get to play on actual ice. Okay, so it's, it's not supposed to be at that angle. It's supposed no. to be more flat. I, it's supposed to be flat. You think, you know, you, you put water down, it should, you know, level itself out and freeze flat, right? Assuming the building around it is flat, yes. The the building around them is within a quarter of an inch from corner to corner because <clears> the guys actually came out here during the summer and did a laser level test on the concrete floor before the ice was put in. Okay. So they, they, the ice guy said, yeah, the floor is perfect. It's like the floor is the best floor we've seen anywhere we've been at. It's just somehow when they put the ice in, they couldn't make water freeze level or level. something. Huh. And so for, for this, then they came in and like shaved off the ice and reset it and made sure it was level. Well, the, they, the ice guys came in from everywhere else to do it. Wings did not touch that ice for the yeah. past couple of weeks. <laughs> I, I hope the, the arenas guys like asked, you know, how are you doing this? Nope. 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 Awesome. Luckily, one of the uh, ice guys also is, is a, uh, basically, he's the head Zamboni guy at another major arena. Yeah. And he's also a curler, so he kind of gave and came over and gave them pointers. So we'll see if they actually, you know, follow those pointers. We'll see. Yeah. But anyway, the U.S. Nationals is finally over. Our champions have been crowned. 
and one of them is going to Worlds. Cool. Wait, one uh, like one player or one team? Uh, the men's team, who are champions, are going to Worlds. The women's okay. teams didn't score enough points overall throughout the season to score uh, to qualify for Worlds. So I think it's the team oh, who actually got third sucks. place is going to Worlds. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Was a weird thing where they're like, "Hey, you guys got third, but you're qualifying for Worlds." What? <laughs> you guys got first and don't. Congratulations. Here's a trophy. You win about a thousand dollars and then um yeah that's that wow so now you finally get to to have your life back i do believe so yes i did not have to wake up at six o'clock this morning to be at the arena at seven thirty. have you just taken like the last week off of work nope so you've been doing this and work yes wow yeah. I, I took one day off, though, because they were short of officials. And so I worked t- Tuesday night, uh, all four of them on Wednesday, and then Thursday morning. So there was, was a stretch this, where I did about six of them in a row. Was this entirely volunteer? Yes. And how much of it was you sitting behind a desk, and how much of it was you, like, moving on the ice? Uh, majority of it was me sitting behind a desk, working a computer. There was a couple of times where I was out on the ice, though, walking around, and that's the end ice observer person who's a second set of eyes who can say, hey, that stone, you know, is out of play. You need to remove it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, no, it was sitting behind a computer. Okay. And during the mid-end breaks, I figured out how to um, make my job obsolete. <laughs> Really? Yeah, because the end ice, there, there's two things you need. You need to start the clock as soon as the stones have stopped moving, and then you need to stop the clock once the stone starts moving again, or at least when it crosses one of the lines on the sheet. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, so you just get some sort of magnetic strip or something that can tell when the stone, because the stone's got a nice steel core in the center for a bolt to hold it down. Mm-hmm. So when that slides over the T line, that should just, you know, automatically stop the clock. It could be a sensor into the thing that's connected to the timing computer. Hmm. And then the end ice observer, who is always down at the other end watching the stones to make sure nothing, you know, is out of play or something, as soon as the stones have stopped moving, he could have a the, little remote button, the, click it to start the clock. But the, the steel steel core, is it symmetric? Like fully symmetric? Is it a a circular core or is it a line in the middle of the stone? The stone is like a donut and the steel core goes in the hole of the donut. Okay. So So it is circular. The stone is circular, so it's in the center. So it always... So it doesn't matter which way the stone is facing? No. Okay. Um, Wouldn't it be better to do it visually than, than to try and use the steel core? Well, we currently are doing it visually. Right. But I'm saying put a camera directly above and just have the camera do image recognition. Um, maybe, maybe not, because some of the pe- the way people throw, they might be leaning over the stone. Oh, okay. So two cameras from the side? Well, then you're... you're one strip on the bottom could handle all of the sheets. There's, hmm. They're already freezing a, a strip into the ice because there's the eye on the hog thing, which the sensor's in the handle. There's a magnetic strip on the ice, and so if you're touching the handle, because the handle is it's basically like those touch lamps where you touch them and you the change in resistance due to your body touching the lamp causes it to turn on. Um, it's The handle is like that where so it hits the line on the ice, and if your hand is still touching it, it will go off. But if your hands will let go, it will say, hey, everything's good. So there, it's already somewhat in place. You just have to kind of flip it around so the stone is dumb and the line in the ice is smart rather than having the stone be the smart bits and the line in the ice be dumb. Right. Okay. You realize the uh, the time it would take to make that sort of change though, right? Like you'd have to go through the international Olympic, not Olympic, uh, curling group, not to mention the Olympic committee. The World Curling Federation basically yeah, sets that, the rules and if they set the rules, it's what normally happens is they set the rules in uh, September and basically October when the U.S. Curling Federation meets together, they basically sometimes just copy paste the uh, rules. That's awesome. Yeah, we were looking through the rules books and we're like, color spelled with O-U. Did somebody even <laughs> read this or did they just copy and paste the World Curling Federation? <laughs> no, they just copied. Yep. Oh, so that's all done. Next year it's going to be down in Florida, so we'll see how well that works out. I, I take it you won't be uh, volunteering at that one? No, but man, were the officials who I was working with really trying to get me to come back. Really? Yeah. They're like, man, because th- they basically thought I was the best timer that they had, which is why I got to time the men's final yesterday, which nice. is why I was recording on a Sunday. Very nice. But yeah, no, I'm not going to take a... <laughs> a week of my precious vacation to go down to Florida and watch the or help the the men's 
curling final or whatever. The U.S. I, I would the U.S. curling. I think you just basic, said. I'd be there for the whole week. Probably be, uh, probably being timing and well, now that I'm uh, officially, well, once I send the paperwork, I'll be an official level one official. An official official. Yes, I'll be an official official and therefore could step up to do the level two events, like being a timing supervisor and that sort of stuff. So that could be interesting. But yeah, no, not, not taking a week of my precious vacation to do that. <laughs> And on top of that, you know, paying for a hotel for the week as well. Yeah. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be no, prudent. But it would be pretty cool. Mm. You could start like a, a GoFundMe thing. <laughs> Send Andy to Florida to officiate the curling nationals. I probably could, but then what would I do for like my, my Kickstarter bonuses or stuff like that? Uh, you don't for GoFundMe. You don't? No. Oh. GoFundMe is just relying on the kindness of strangers. Oh. <laughs> I love how I Google GoFundMe and the first one in the news is from yeah. MLive where somebody had uh, burned down an adult store. That's um, sad. Yeah. Arson. Yeah, arson. The uh, guy who was charged with it said he wanted to eradicate porn when he set fire to the building. It was uh, God's work. In Kalamazoo. Yeah. Even. Wow. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that was an interesting thing. Wow. Okay, then. Hmm. Did not see that one coming. Nope. Nope. That's wow. Yeah. So should we actually hit topics so I can get back into my groove of things? Yeah, I suppose. How's running going? Yeah, about that. <laughs> not not well? I could look at my Facebook page and tell you the last time that I went running. You have to look at your Facebook page. The answer is too long ago. January 29th. There is no way. That, really? January 29th? It's been a month. Holy crap. Oh, three weeks. Holy crap. Oh, side note. Um, I finally did a 12-win arena run. Woo! Not against Amaz this time. No, not right? against Amaz this time. Nope, this one was just on my own. What class were you playing? Uh, mage. Mage, and I actually only had uh, one flame strike and no fireballs. What? I know. It was kind of surprising. Let's see what And you I still have. managed to get 12 wins. Yeah. Da, 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 deck. What did I have on this deck? Uh, I had a couple of frost bolts. Um, yeah, two, two flame strikes. Sorry, two flame strikes. Not one flame strike, but two flame strikes. And a bunch of rares. One polymorph. Yeah, nothing that really is, like, you know, outstanding. Well, congratulations, sir. Thank you. Well done on your arena win. 260 One may gold. even say your your epic win, Could which leads that. us so, to our first topic. Oh, nice segue. What do you epic got? Epic Games. Epic Games, famous for Gears of War and their Unreal Engine, has started a new program called Unreal Dev Grants. So this is uh, you have started building a game and you've got it pretty good. It, it's in kind of a workable model. You can apply for a grant, assuming that the game is being created with the Unreal Engine, uh, of course, from Unreal from from Epic Games, and they will assign a grant if they like it between five thousand to fifty thousand dollars, and that's it. That's your money. They don't take ownership. They don't make deals. They don't like say, "Well, we now partially own this game." It's just here's money to get your game off the ground. Huh. Well, that's that's really nice of them. Granted, this basically would just get other people to use the engine. Be like, hey, I can get free money if I use Unreal's engine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the money's supposed to go to the game, but yeah. So they're putting up a total of $5 million for this. Hmm. It's like, that's pretty cool. No, that is pretty cool. And isn't this the, the engine that they're giving away? Uh, no, I think this is... This is Unreal 4. I thought they had some sort of uh, subscription plan for that. Uh, it was something like that. 20 bucks a month and 5%. Well, that's not too bad. Yep, as compared to what some of the other engines are. Oh, yeah. So twenty bucks a month plus five percent, and something between five thousand and fifty thousand dollars if if your game gets nominated and they like it, judged on merit alone. Hmm, that's not bad at all. Have I played anything recently that's been on the Unreal Engine? There's got to be a list on Wikipedia about this, but no, no, there isn't. Oh, oh the ball was on Unreal. Nice. Unreal Four. Gears of War was. Oh, there's going to be one on uh, Unreal Four. Wow, there's a there's a lot of big name games that are using it. Yes, it is. You know, one of the the top commercial engines out there. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous engine. Engine. There's Unreal, and there's the the uh, whatever Far Cry engine, Crisis engine. I think. I think so. Yes. But yeah, game company doing good. Always a happy story. Love it when game companies do good like that. What else we got? Um, I was gonna go with the cold. The cold that it yeah. is. 
friggin' freezing outside. What'd you say? It was negative eight? Well, that's what my phone says. The temperature gauge on the walls has 13 degrees. Both of which are below freezing. Yes. One is significantly more below freezing. So, um, people at Carnegie Mellon University uh, pulled data from Fleet Karma, which is a company that tracks performance around car fleets operated by governments and businesses all over the United States. And they looked specifically at the 7,000 all-electric Nissan Leafs across the country and how their driving ranges varied with temperature, i.e., you know, how well does a Nissan Leaf perform up here when it's freaking cold compared to, you know, L.A., where it's not so cold. Well, it's still cold, but not this cold. No, it's it's above freezing at the time. Yes. <laughs> so what is the impact on electric vehicles? Um, I mean, the average range of a Nissan Leaf on the coldest day... Probably significantly lower. Yeah. 112 kilometers in San Francisco. Why are they measuring it in kilometers in San Francisco? They're scientists. They always okay. measure things. In- uh, can, can we do 112 km to miles? 70 miles. Okay, so you get 70 miles in San Francisco on the coldest day that it was there. Yeah. The one up in Minneapolis... Let's see, is 72 kilometers, so that is... 45 uh, miles. What? 45 miles. So he went from 70 miles to less than 45 miles just because of the weather. Let's see, 72 divided by 100 and, what do we say, 115? Sure. It's uh, 60%, 62, 63%. So you're losing a third of your distance? Yeah, because of the temperature. Yeah, just because it's cold. Although I wonder, I mean, the, the landscapes of those two cities are also very different. True, Minneapolis is pretty flat compared to San Francisco. Right, now that can go both ways, right? San Francisco going uphill is going to take a lot more energy. Yes. Going downhill takes a lot less. So what they need to do is go back when Minneapolis was, you know... Is in the summer. Is in the summer. And it's like 90 degrees. Yeah. And compare the distance with that one versus the coldest. And then compare San Francisco on a nice, on a really hot day, compare it to... There's no such thing in San Francisco. No? Not really. No. Let's see. I've never been Uh, to San Francisco. Temperature range. San Francisco weather temperature by month. Average high temperature, uh, the coldest is 50. You want to guess the highest average high temperature in San Francisco? 80? 70. 70, really? Yeah. Wow, that stays pretty constant. Yes. Average lows are from the high 40s to the mid 50s. San Francisco is sunny and 70 degrees most of the year. Well, 60 degrees, 65 degrees. Huh. I never knew it was that steady over there. Regulated by the ocean. Anyway, so if you have an electric car, a fully electric car, then then driving it in, you know, sub-zero weather is not great. That said, isn't the same thing true of gas cars? Like, I know that they switch the formula of the gas in the winter. That's why gas is always cheaper in the winter. Yes, they they they, they mess with the blend so it, you know, doesn't, I don't think it, I think it's because they freeze? I don't know. You're the car guy? And most of the time, my knowledge of them just changing to a winter blend is enough. Crap, I grabbed an actual science website, so now I've got molecules here in a paragraph that's about 12 pages long. Okay, so when it's warm, things evaporate easier, and the shorter molecules evaporate easier than larger molecules. Yeah. Reducing the volatility of gas cuts evaporative emissions. So when it's cold, uh, refineries are allowed to produce gasoline that evaporates more easily because it's colder, so it's not going to warm up and evaporate as quickly. Okay. mix cheap low energy butane into the mix okay i still don't know what that actually does but regardless it comes back to my question of doesn't like don't normal gas cars get worse mileage in the winter uh your vehicle miles per gallon typically will drop two to eight percent when you start filling up with a winter blend plus you have to deal with the ice on the road yes plus you have to do de- i mean if you're wearing if you have uh, snow tires that's going to affect your mileage as well yes but is it going to is are those going to add up to 30 percent uh, in the summer, I get about 50 miles per gallon. Uh, in the winter, it's usually closer to 38 to 40. Yes, but you're driving a hybrid, which some of that might be due to the winter blend. The or winter just, blend or the... Well, but, but like that's, you, you can't have it both ways, Andy. The point is it happens to all cars. Yeah, no, but I'm saying you're in a hybrid right now. So you okay, have, so, a, so you have you batteries aren't. in your car. Yes, but those are not, f- the only power source for those batteries is the gas engine. Yes, but the batteries in your car 
are not going to be able to store as much energy. Okay, so you're using a, a fully non-electric car. Yes. Technically, you have a battery as well, but... Yes, I know, but it is just a secondary go, okay. thing but there go to ahead. help with the starting. So what's your mileage in the summer, and what's your mileage in the winter? My mileage in the summer, when I'm running on regular gasoline and not on E85, is approximately 18 miles per gallon. So it happens when you drive a full-size Ford Explorer. Right. Right now, I do believe if I went out there and checked my miles per gallon, it would be approximately 16, I think, was the last time I filled up. So 16 versus 18? Yes. It's a drop of a tenth. Yeah. Two elevenths, really. It, it's still... Two ninths. Uh, two ninths. One ninth. Somewhere around there. One ninth is what it is. It's still not a third. No. Not a third at all. Nope. <gasps> So electric vehicles do worse in the winter. Yes. Okay. There, there's also some secondary information they noticed on this one there is the fact that um, cars were also uh, less healthy for the environment in the uh, areas like Virginia and such where most of their power comes from coal power plants. Uh-huh. Because the power for the car is coming from coal. Yes. Yeah. That I, I would have. Yes. That's one of those things where it's like super obvious. Like the power's got to come from somewhere, guys. Yes. Yes. You're not burning gasoline as fast. You're burning coal instead. Yeah. And they, they pointed out the fact like, yes, your, your car is going to have to use, you know, more energy to get charged, about approximately 15% higher, 15% more energy to charge itself back up there because you have a lower amount of range on these things. So you have to charge it more often and yada, yada, yada. But they still say that the power plants are the biggest source of greenhouse gases in the country. So this is, you know, splitting hairs when you have the giant elephant in the room. Yep. Still, I was kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, well, how well do these things handle in the snow? Well, that's the first office. How well do they handle? But second office, what's their range? And finally, somebody did a study on that. So staying with cars, do you know you could hack mm -hmm. a car wash? You can hack a car wash? You can hack a car wash. How can you hack? What can you do with a car wash? I mean, which definition of hacking are you talking about? Um, well, these car washes are able to be remotely adjusted via a web interface. What? So one of the stories that is brought up in the, this article says that um, he was talking with an executive for a gas station change that included car washes and was told about how technicians had misconfigured one car wash location remotely. The mistake caused the road arm in the car wash to smash into a minivan mid-wash, spraying water into the vehicle and at the family <laughs> inside. The minivan oh, driver... No. Oh, that's terrible. The minivan driver quickly accelerated out of the car wash. No, duh. Yeah. Badly damaging so, the equipment as well as the vehicle. Right, because your tire is locked in there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. So this guy, after hearing this story from a friend who's, you know, the owner of this gas chain, went looking for exposed automatic car washes online and found them. There were a couple hundred for PDQ Laser Wash, which is the brand that he researched. Uh, they run an HTTP web server interface for remote administration and controller, and the car wash equipment runs on Windows CE with an ARM processor. You can log into it and shell into it. It's just an HTTP post request. So you can just curl into it. Yeah. The interface that sits on top is a top of an ICS, like the stuff at a power plant. At the end of the day, it really is just an ICS. So you can actually go in there and manually adjust things while it's in the process or handle all, adjust all the sales side of things as well so you can get free car washes. That's just, wow. I so understand, how, you know. How should that have been avoided, right? Like, whose responsibility was that? Is it the car wash business should have been like, is this secure? Probably. If they're, because they're the ones who are in. Or is it the people who are selling the systems to the car wash businesses? Is it their responsibility to say, like, we're giving you a secure product? That's actually an excellent question. Because shit like this shouldn't happen. Yeah, I highly doubt the people at PDQ Laser Wash were planning on, you know, writing the remoting in software themselves. They probably got it from somebody. Right. Uh, that's just, that. that's awful. Kind of want to go to the local car wash and be, you know, do some snooping. Oh, jeez. I should get a car wash. I haven't done that in a little while. But still, it's like, I, I understand the joys of being able to remote in. I actually have to, once we're done recording, remote in and reset one of the web streams for our radio stations. And I love the fact that I can do that. I can remote in and physically tell the box to restart itself. But you have security on it. Yes. There's about three passwords that I have to know in order to get in there, and none of them are default. And none of them are the same. No. Yeah. But then it's things like ridiculous. this. But it's like most likely they still kept the default password and most likely it was still this. And it's no. How much do you want to bet the password was password or admin? Just stupidity. Yep. Such stupidity. It was um, 
who was I talking to? It was one of our news guys who said, oh, I can't log on to our, our website to post the things up on our webpage. And I'm like, okay, what's your username and password? He's like, oh, my username and this, my password is password. And I'm like, hold You're on. <laughs> you have now lost access. Hold on. Nobody in this company would have given you the password of password. <laughs> no, no, that's not, that's, that's not right. So what we need to do then, since you don't know what your password is, I'm going to reset, reset your password. password. Yep. And then we're going to get you a nice password with letters and numbers and not have it be password oh man the trials and tribulations of tech support i keep saying my job would be so much easier if your people didn't exist <laughs> you wouldn't have much of a job andy i'd i'd maintain the system the system would still keep up and running uh-huh but there'd be no one to listen speaking of which have you been reading the book club book yes okay i am on pay oh i just finished up the quick years so I think I'm in the final oh, like, wow. three chapters or so. Nice. You're ahead of me. Well, I've got a week left to read it, and I knew last week was not going to be a good time to read. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's talk about adware. Oh. And so how's Lenovo. your Lenovo laptop, Dave? It's pretty good, actually. I I haven't noticed anything. So I, I haven't noticed that there's a possibility for a man in the middle. At, no, no, wait. You've got the Y5010, right? Something like that. I got mine like two years ago. Okay. Well, recent Lenovo laptops... Um, across multiple series had Superfish installed on it, which um, basically somehow could break HTTPS. That's not good. No. That's that's really not good. Especially since the uh, cryptographic key encrypting the certificate that breaks everything um, has already been cracked. So it's like super exposed. Yes. And really not good. Yes. Oops. Way to go, Lenovo. Well done. Uh, they have released a tool to remove it. And by they, I mean Lenovo themselves have published a tool that will remove it. But just, wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, I love how their announcement said, though, that... Um uh, Superfish super software, Lenovo says, was to help customers potentially discover interesting products while shopping. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's no. to make someone money. It's to make Lenovo money is what it is. Right. Interesting products, my ass. It's to make money. That's why the first thing that I do and I... Most clear of the time, get everything a new out. Hmm? Clear everything out. Yeah, no, I I wipe that thing clean and then install a fresh copy of Windows. Yep. Now, yes, but. I lose some of the access to some of the tools that would be helpful, like you know the the factory restore options. Yes. But then I can just, if I need to factory restore, you can just reinstall Windows. Yeah. Wow. I just I can't believe that two security holes, two security holes right away. Okay. This is a, an interesting episode 400. I was trying to think of like something special to do for episode 400, and it's then I realized security. when it was going to happen, and I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> that it was happening so soon? or Yeah, that it was happening so soon, and then it was happening bef- the week before where I could you know prep and get everything set and ready. And- oh, right, because you yeah. were busy all last week. Okay. Um, so speaking of privacy, yeah, how much is privacy worth for you? In what way? Well, AT&T is you know, putting out its gigabit fiber oh, to home. Oh, God, yeah. The $30 so that they don't watch you? Yes. Oh God! So it it there the price kind of matches Google's price a bit, but that is with the uh, opting in of AT and T's Internet Preferences Program, and I put quotations around there. So this quote-unquote internet preferences program tracks the web pages you visit, the time you spend on each, the links or ads you see and follow, and the search terms you enter. And it works independently of your browser's privacy settings regarding cookies, do not track, and private browsing. If you opt into AT&T internet preferences, AT&T will still be able to collect and use your web browsing information independent of those settings. If you opt out, then you have to pay $30 more. Is that per month? Per month. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I would seek an alternative. This, oh my God. So yeah, so AT&T says, oh yeah, we can compete with Google. If, you know, you let us watch See everything. everything you do. Granted, I mean, there's there are VPNs, right? There are point-to-point encryption. There are ways to make it so that AT&T can't actually see what you do. But it's a little sad that you have to jump through hoops in order to, you know, have a normal... Hoops and an extra $30. Yeah. Companies are, like, terrible. Terrible, 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 evil companies. Which, now, side note, Google does collect information on you. We can't say that Google is, you know, not collecting information, but not on this scale. 
So if you use, you know, Google, YouTube or Waze or stuff like that, Google will track that information across its own web properties, but not, you know, watch you everywhere you go. Are, are we really like in the post-privacy age and we just don't realize it yet? I really hope not. I think that's going to be the, in, in like 50 years, this will be known as the post-privacy age. That's going to be the, the socioeconomic term, socio-historical term for this area of time is, is post-privacy. It's not the information age anymore. No. It's the personal information age. Which is funny because half of it, okay, so it's, it's twofold, right? We've got the companies who are tracking you. Every time you use a credit card, credit card companies are definitely tracking all that information and selling it. And then we have our own personal privacy uploading where people, you know, are posting pictures of their kids and their cats, yeah. in which I am now responding to somebody's Facebook post. What? What? I got a message Facebook during this. Well, somebody had responded to something I had responded to, so now I just had to respond back to them. Someone responded to, you were responding to a response to a response to a post? Yes. I know it's sad. You know what's also sad? Many things. How about spending $160 for a micro SD card? That's a lot. Especially since it's a classic, or sorry, it's a class 10, 64 gigabyte SD card, which you could normally now buy for approximately, what, 30 bucks or so? Something like that. So it's pretty cheap. So. And this one's 160. 160. Why? Because Sony says that this card is designed to create little or no electric noise when data is being read from it, offering a cleaner sound quality compared with regular cards. Bullshit. 160 bucks for an SD card. Yeah. It costs 30. Sony doesn't even know if people are going to buy this. They, they are literally quoted as saying, we are not that sure about the product's potential demand, but we thought some among some among people who are committed to great sound quality would want it. I feel like these are also the people who think Beats headphones are the best thing ever. I, that, oh my God, it's that's so bad. And there are people who are going to claim that they can hear it, right? There are people oh, yeah. who are going to be like, oh yeah, totally. I'll never go back to anything else. What electric noise are you going to hear from a micro SD card? Well, Andy, electrons are moving. Moving things create vibrations. Vibrations are noise. I, I, I would love to see whatever white paper Sony has to put out about what they did on this card to create. What makes you think that they're actually going to publish a white paper? Oh, they're not going to publish a white paper. It's Sony. I mean, they're why would to... they do that? No, they wouldn't. They will just say, we think that this will eliminate da 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 da. A hundred and no, 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 no. I wonder how much you could buy just for a regular SD card. 64 gigabytes. Uh-huh. Go to Amazon. Micro SD cards. Amazon.com. 64 gigabyte is $32. Yes, I know, but I'm saying how much, how much, if you had to spend $160, how much storage would you get? Uh, 115 is a 128, and things past that tend to be like, yeah, it's, it's the 128s, and they're all gimmicky kind of things. Yeah. You know, professional ultra, uh, custom formatted for high speed lossless encoding, which is bullshit. That was an XC card, right? Yeah. Microsoft XC slash memory. I'm on Newegg right now. Okay. So micro SD cards, verifying. Yep. 128 gigabytes. Okay. Should we move Goodness on? gracious. Yes. Let's move on from that one. How about another crappy Sony product? Another crappy Sony product? Yes. Wow. It feels like we're going back in time. <laughs> okay. Sony has come out with their own version of Google Glass. Yes. And the picture looks horrible. Yes. Although, if I recall, it wasn't, um, it was more like the, the augmented reality than Google Glass. Yes. So it's more like the Microsoft one, the HoloLens, but not quite as good. Or is it more like Google Glass? I'm not exactly sure. I think I think it's uh, I I don't know. It's it's transparent display in both lenses. Yes. Let's see. Smart eyeglass. I haven't actually watched Sony's demo. Uh, skip to uh one minute into the video where she's walking around, uh, and then I mean it's a prototype, right? Yeah. It's not ready for mass consumption. No, but they say they want it out next year. Why is it all green? I don't know. Like that's it's supposed to be a standalone product, though, right? It's Google yes. Glass is just Android hooked into it. Did they did they not learn from like uh, Virtual Boy? I mean, I, I know that wasn't a Sony product. That was Nintendo. I'm watching this video and I really can't read the text with through the background. It's oh, this is horrible. It's a bad idea. It looks bad. It looks like the interface is bad. You've got this giant 
thing that you have to clip to your show, your uh, shirt. Oh, it, oh yeah, the the puck. No, this this no. Eight hundred and fifty dollars for this too. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Also, supposedly it's got about a two and a half hour battery life. <laughs> so you you can't even. They like, want it out this year. Next year, they want it out next, next year. year. They're nuts. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's that's a no go product. <laughs> two hour battery life. Two and a half hours. And you have to carry around a puck, and you have to wear full glasses. This is not going to go anywhere. No. And it's $1,500. No, no, no. It's $800. Oh, okay. $850. They're talking about how Google Glass was $1,500, and this one is cheaper. Because it's stupid. <laughs> yes. It's yes, cheaper because it it's worse. Okay. Tell me about end of the world, Andy. Why we have this on here? Scientists in the UK yep. have figured out the 12 possible ways that our world is going to end. Except not. Because if you look at the very last one, it's unknown reasons. What? Stupid scientists and their... Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so all this other stuff. Government collapse, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology. Volcanoes, climate change, nuclear war. I mean, the, none of this is new. This is all the same stuff it's been for the last 20 years. Yeah. So... All right. Yeah. Uh, skip that one. Okay. Skip a bit, brother. Uh, what? Monty Python quote where he's reading in the lambs and the sloths and the orangutans. Oh, and- Yes. Skip ahead a bit, brother. Uh, the IBM Watson. Oh, what's Watson up to now? Working for SoftBank. Really? Yeah, but here's the real trick. In order to work for SoftBank, Watson needs to learn Japanese. Wow. So they are working together, IBM and SoftBank, to make a Japanese language version of Watson. Hmm. So, huh. so there's going to be a Japanese Watson out there. I guess. It'd be really kind of funny if they called it Watson. <laughs> Ah, uh, so Lenovo, Sony. You know what they should try and do now with Watson? Because the, the, the Jeopardy contest, yes, that was brilliant. Yes. And if you ever have a As chance, a watch the stuff. Nova special about it. Okay. Because Nova did like an in-depth, hey, this is how Watson started and became. And it, it's a it's a really good, well, Nova is really good most of the time. And this one is just, you know, really good as well because it's about Watson. Um, But they need to build Watson so he fits into just one rack rather than the one, two, three, four, six racks that they've currently got set up. So they shrunk him. No, that's what they that's what they need to do. They need to shrink okay. Watson down to a single yes. rack unit and actually like fit him in the same floor space as a human being okay then have that compete on jeopardy haven't they didn't we talk about this already or am i just having deja vu i don't know because i'm pretty sure we talked about them like shrinking watson and how much better he's gotten even since jeopardy well yes i know but they still need i'm saying they should have him come back onto just the regular jeopardy set but he's already beaten everything in jeopardy why he's beaten everything in jeopardy with a massive server room behind him okay so just try slimming him down a bit, shrinking the amount of storage space and other such things. It's probably all the computing power that they, it's on there. How many bl- how many server blades was Watson running when it was on Jeopardy? Probably. I don't not. know, but I mean, how big was the computer that beat Gary Kasparov? I don't know how big Deep Blue was. It was big. It was big? Yeah. Yeah. It was in like the 70s, Andy. <laughs> uh-huh. It was a big computer. I don't think physical size of the computer has much to do with it. So T-Mobile is now number three, huh? Supposedly. Is that because people have left Sprint or because the uncarrier thing is working? Well, uh, according to the numbers, T-Mobile ended up with a little more than 55 million subscribers at the end of the last quarter. And Sprint ended with 55.9. But Sprint's financial filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission counts 1.7 million customers uh, through resale partners that have been inactive for at least six months. So T-Mobile says, hey, wait a second, you guys have subscribers on your list that are not actual subscribers, so then technically you're below us now. Hey, look, we're third. Which makes me wonder if T-Mobile also has some... Right, like, hmm... I don't think so, guys. <laughs> they're really close for third. They are. We, we could effectively say they're tied for third. Yes, I could feel like you could effectively say if you have 1.7 million people on one side, maybe there's some more on the... They're pretty close, yes. Yeah, still nowhere near AT&T and Verizon. No, <laughs> still not, no. 
So this is not like they are officially. It's just that they they are making the claim based on some really funny math. Yes. Okay. They're but crazy. No, it's it's surprising that they are now neck and neck. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the uncarrier thing has has been helping them. Also, also at some point I have to start crazy. working on my data stash. Your data stash. Yes. That the the free gigabytes of storage that I get now. How do you how do you do that again? I got free ten gigabytes of data. Okay. To, to oh, right. use any time is... within the next year. Yeah, this is the one where like you had to actually just say I want this. Yes. Yeah. Now I just have to figure out wh- when I'm going to use that because I think my current data usage is not that much. Um, start downloading things. I don't know. Oh, I just upgraded to uh, Lollipop on my phone. Congratulations. I don't like it mainly because because I have the Gear Fit. Yep. And so normally when my Gear Fit is connected, the phone will post a notification that I can't shut off that says, hey, your Gear Fit is connected. And when it's disconnected, it will post a notification that I can't shut off that says, hey. It's, it's been disconnected. <laughs> it's been disconnected. Oh, that's silly. And now with the lock screen having those notification windows at the top, every time I turn on my phone. You see it. I see that thing that says, hey, your your thing is connected. I'm like, of course I know it's connected. Or, or of course I know it's not connected because it's not on my freaking wrist. I don't need to know this information. Can I shut it off? No. No, I can't shut it off. Did it change your your symbols at the bottom of the screen? Yes. Are they the weird abstract minimalistic ones that mine are? I don't know. My phone is currently across the room right now, so I can't really tell you. So I I turn on my phone after upgrading to Lollipop and I see a square, a circle, and a left pointing triangle. (laughs) I look like, what the fuck is this? Oh, those ones at the bottom? No, those yeah. are physically built into mine, so I don't have those okay. as soft yeah, buttons. Yeah, I, I have soft buttons, and so I have a square, a circle, and a left-pointing triangle. <laughs> what is this, a PlayStation? I, a PlayStation, or like, stop, record, and rewind? Like, what the hell is this? And it's it's the the square is the, the app switcher. Yes. The circle is the home button, and the left triangle is back. Yeah, no, I have those physically on my phones. Yeah, well, I kind of wish I did. Because what the fuck? Oh, well. But yeah, no, I re- I just really want to shut off those notifications because that's... But I still want to have, like, the notifications on my block screen because that's nice to actually see. Because other times it would just be like, hey, you got a little thing there. And unless I'm glancing at the phone at the correct time, all I'll see is the little thing, little icon in the notification bar saying that I have an email rather than actually being able to kind of glance and see what email it is. Yeah, it's no, pretty it's, nice. Instead, I just see that, hey, my thing is connected. Thanks. I like the, yeah, well, that, that sucks. I like the notifications, the, the card format of them instead of just this like row by row. Yeah, no, it's nice. It's pretty good. I just want I haven't to shut noticed off any performance. Them. Yeah, I know that, that one thing would get kind of annoying. I haven't noticed any sort of performance changes though. I haven't either, but then I still know that Samsung put their own touch whiz on top of it so i who knows yep. what i'm going to actually get yeah oh hey the academy awards are tonight yes they are and i actually haven't paid attention to any of that so i don't even know i don't yeah, think i'm gonna watch it tonight even though I, okay i'll watch the opening because it's neil patrick harris and then i'll be I done don't. with it that's it yeah you don't want to just catch it on youtube tomorrow oh i probably could catch it on youtube tomorrow you are correct yes all right should we uh maybe move on sure what's the lutz the lutz is a automated car in the uk what the frick is this yeah it's kind of taking the concept of a car and redesigning it a little bit it looks ugly (laughs) okay i was going to say it looks british (laughs) i suppose it's kind of the same thing (laughs) oh oh it it's cute actually i i thought but it's just this little driverless pod it you can barely call it a car but 40 miles about six hours um 15 miles per hour makes sense Wow, that's... Totally automated. Yeah, I see that, and it's... Wow, that's... hmm. See, things like that would be good for small campuses. Yes. I wouldn't want to take them on the main roads. They also store nicely, because you can see that the wheels go in and out. That is something. It is interesting, though. So that that is the Lutz, a uh, fully automated car in the UK that the government is looking at and saying, we could probably use this. Just another step, another sign of the transformation that is happening across the world with automotives. What are they going to so, be called, right? Autos? Auto-autos? Auto-autos? Auto-squared is what Laura suggests? Because, like, automotive, right, was the, 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 the kind of combination for automatic 
and motivator, I guess. Motion. Uh, what would you... Well, if you have something like this, you have to compare something like this versus, you know, like an actual car that's automated. What's the difference? Well, this one... I'd say, like, comparing this one to... We'll probably say in a few years that there's going to be an S-Class or an Audi or something that's going to be... Well, Audi already has their completely automated car. Okay. But this oh. one and an automated, you know, Audi R8 are two completely different things. So you have to distinguish... How? them somehow because the, uh, this is a little inner city pod okay the other one is like an actual car so if if i took a, a smart car yes and automated it wouldn't it look like that you're right it would look like that okay so if i take a smart car and make it like that are those equivalent depends on what the range and speed of the smart car is is that going to be your determining factor yes is range and speed yes it'd be like comparing a motorcycle to a bicycle a motorcycle to a motorized bicycle yes so it's it's purely a matter of the cc probably yes so if i just keep putting in a bigger engine all of the sudden it's a car if this thing can go on, oh, right, here we go if it can go on the highway then it's a car this can probably Probably legally go on the highway. It can only go 15 miles per hour. Okay. So no, it cannot go. What was the car that they made on Top Gear? I know you know that episode. I know you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The little tiny one that they had the the engineering students build. P45. Oh, he he actually got one later that was actually smaller than the P45. Okay. Because I know the P45 was able to go on the highway. Yes, because it was technically as a yeah. Where do you draw the line? That that's an excellent question. That is a very excellent question. Maybe you'll have to redraw the lines because that P forty five was kind of made as a as a spoof on the P forty five tax. Okay. So it's like yes, well it it follows all the rules. But where are you drawing the line? You still have not answered that, right? What is the difference between this and a car besides I say so? Oh, I don't want to say you have me, but you might actually have me. I'm going to go on the lines of minus the P45 loopholes that they found to build that thing. There should be a separation between intercity and intracity transportations. So if you're getting in this little Lutz to poke around town, like especially with a 50 mile per hour top speed and a 40 mile per hour max range, that is an intercity. So what if I took a Model S, a Tesla, okay, and had them neuter the battery so that it had a 30 mile range? I don't know why you would do that. Would that no longer qualify as a car, as an intracity car? Probably not, no. Probably not, as in it would or wouldn't. I would say it would not classify as... Even though... The only difference is the battery. Yeah, that's like I'm saying right now. It's I feel like the classifications will have to it would be twofold. It'll be range and speed because if you're designing an intercity car, you're not ex, you're not going to be designing it to withstand a 60 mile per hour crash. You're not going to design it to live on the highway system. I feel okay. So intercity cars or pods or lutzes, whatever they are, could be a subset of automobiles because regular automobiles should still be able to work inside a city, but then also handle higher crashes, higher speeds, that sort of stuff. Hmm. Will that work? Will that one be a subset it, it of is, the other? It is definitely redrawing the lines. Well, we're going to have to do that anyway. Nobody... Right. No, <laughs> automobile I, I laws like the were originally need to be invented. Redrawn, and that is definitely a way to do it. I, I would have to sit down and think about it a lot more, and we'd need to work out like actual technical detail. But so in now any the question case. becomes is, who is actually going to be writing these rules? Oh god, that's a scary thought. Please don't let it be the current automakers all right so that's the lutz yes uh teaching coding in school that sounds like an important topic yeah, uh, President Obama says that uh, he was at uh, Recode. Uh, well, he was speaking. Sorry, he was speaking to Recode at the White House summit on cybersecurity and consumer protection, and he said that uh, we need to increase our STEM education. Which you know, everybody always says we need to redo our STEM education. Right, but so he, he wants programming in schools. Yes, he says that you should. Uh, where, what's his quote? Is it in this article or is it in another one? Yeah, everybody's uh, part of what we want to do is introduce this with the ABCs and the colors. It, does he know how to program? Program? Probably not. Does he understand what's involved in programming? Probably not. Then maybe he and his staff writers shouldn't be saying these things. There are there are ways you have to think about code that I don't know if you if you can teach it to people that young. 
I agree that I, I think it's more so not people need to know how to code. It's people need to understand computers are not black boxes that just do stuff. <laughs> we, this kind of falls back to the car wash thing there is people need to understand what you what you can and cannot do with computers and what you need to protect and, you know, and loosely how they work. Yeah. You know, I, I see people, I, I talk to people, I do stuff and. Uh, they're like, oh, well, how would you do this? And I said, oh, it's really easy on the computer. I can make it do this. And they had no concept of that. It's People need to understand, you don't need to know how to code, but you need to understand what computers can do and how they work. In any case, cool. I like the idea of teaching programming to more people. I'm not sure it should be in, like, elementary school, but I like the idea. Yes. Okay. Uh, Apple has a VR patent? Yes, this was uh, applied for a couple of years ago, uh, announced in 2013, and finally legally granted to them uh, basically this week, which sort of looks like, you know, the same thing that Samsung was doing and the, the Google... Uh, cardboard sort of thing. Yeah. How? Wait, why? 2008, Apple applied for a patent on a head-mounted display apparatus for retaining a portable electronic device with display. Crap. And they were finally awarded it. Yes. And it doesn't matter that other people have actually beat them to market with it. No. Now they are infringing on the patent. Yes. Crap. I wonder if the, the Google one, since it's just cardboard, actually gets around this. Pretty much. I feel like the cardboard one will because it's slightly less complex than this current one. Yeah. Although I'm not seeing spots in the, the patent for lenses, right? It's just like literally shoving the phone in front of your eyes. Yes. That's what they currently have is, yes, literally shoving the phone. Because the Samsung one has like two lenses in it. But it's pretty much the same thing where you just... Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a patent lawyer. But you know, this one might cause some problems for Samsung and Oculus and the such. Well, probably not Oculus, because Oculus is just an actual all-in-one and not... I don't know. This this one's probably aiming towards Samsung with this patent. Well, I don't know that they're aiming towards anything, because they actually, like as you said, they filed the patent in 2008. Yeah. So they may actually have just been the first ones to actually come up with the patent, and other people came up with it on their own. Well, crap. Okay. One other Apple topic. What is it? LA. LA schools. Yeah. So LA schools a few years ago said that they were going to give one like one laptop per child sort of thing. Yeah. Except Big, it was huge initiative. one iPad. Well, they, they, they started out saying laptops, but then somehow switched to iPads. And then after the um, fall of 2013, schools began receiving the iPads. And then no surprise, students quickly learned how to basically hack the iPads and get around all the security and education software that was installed. Yeah. That's not a surprise. No. So yeah, so then there was that going on there, and there were supposedly improperties in the bidding process, and there was an FBI investigation and the whole nine yards on this thing. And then finally now, the current superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District says that they are shutting it down. Costs too much money for not enough payout. Yep. So that was an experiment that failed. Not surprised. No, not surprised at all. I still remember when we had the laptops not given to our grade because our grade was, you know, missed both ways. Yep. We, the, the grade ahead of us got them and the grade behind us got them. We didn't yes. get anything. We got bupkis. But I still remember going to the library and seeing the guys sitting there playing Red Alert on the laptops rather than, you know, actually... Schoolwork. Schoolwork. Yeah. We were also the youngest grade twice. Oh, yeah, because of the new school. Yeah. We got screwed on a lot of things. We did. We had it so rough, Andy. So rough. Well, I found it hilarious when I kept on getting asked about student opinions on the new high school, and then it's like, oh yeah, the, the high school that's going to be built after you graduate. Yep. The the next year was the first year in the high school, right? Yep. So they kept on asking us, like, so what are the problems, you know, with the percussion instruments and the current setup? I'm like, well, we literally have to bend one of the doors in order to make things fit. <laughs> Because <laughs> you guys were in a closet. The the music room, when you had to go to the auditorium, it's like the other doors, when the timpani, like you'd have to turn it sideways and had somebody literally like grab the center beam and pull it to bend it enough to get it. Oh, so what? No surprise. The new band room doors, you know, were extra wide to allow interest and access of. Oh. <sighs> so you're welcome, future students of Celine High School. So, should we uh, hit the random topics and reviews and such? Sure. Random review. It is your week, Dave. It is my week. I would like to review the DDR version 3 tournament metal dance pad. Dave, are you DD dancing to the oldies? Uh, if by oldies you mean songs from like 10 or 15 years ago, yes. Exercise in 2 electronic. Oh my god, exercise. Oh my god. So, I, I did this... Uh, 
last night and my heart rate got up to about 160 and stayed there for between 10 to 15 minutes. Let's see, what's the cardio heart rate chart? It'd be helpful if I can actually spell heart correctly. But, uh, let's see, so you said 160, 160 BPM. You, oh yeah, you're right in that range, aren't you? I don't know. I, I have not talked to a, a trainer, so I do not know. Well, your target heart rate during exercise is approximately 220 minus your age is your maximum heart rate. And your target so heart rate... 190? Your target heart rate should be for aerobic exercises in the 70% range of that. 70% range of 190. 7 times 190 is 133 is my target heart rate. Oh. I was a little bit past that. Uh, oh, let's see. Where was I? Getting I get into the, uh, the conditioning range. Uh, I was at 85% of my maximum. Yeah, you're in the conditioning range then. Okay. What is what does that mean? Uh, fitness conditioning, muscle building. More, that's, a, like a, that's a light athletic training sort of thing. Okay. How long should that be maintained? Well, that is the excellent question. That's why I'm asking it. Yes, but I'm saying that's the one question that everybody has always been asking is how long do you are you supposed to stay in that target heart range? Okay. I was in there for about 15 minutes. That's not bad, actually. No, that that's pretty cool. decent. Because I'm, I'm trying to work on getting, like, stamina built up again, and maybe losing a little bit of weight. No, that's, that's about in the right range, yeah. Okay. So back to the review. Yes. Sorry. I've been playing Dance Dance, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, when, when I was moving files from one computer to the other, because I got a new computer, I found my old DDR emulator. And so oh. I started playing it with the keyboard, and I'm like, oh, man, this is so good. This is so good. And I'm like, I, this is probably worth it. And so I went online uh, and, and looked up different dance pads and talked to some people about it. And in fact, Bry uh, kind of jumped in and bought this same pad before I did and and got it and had some trouble setting it up and kind of gave me a, a breakdown of it and I said yeah you know what that sounds like it's worth it it comes with the pad which is great it comes with the so the pad is connected to a a video game controller output which is to say an old joystick joystick style output that gets plugged into a converter which converts it to a PS controller a PlayStation controller excuse me which then converts it to a USB controller. That's a little much. Yep. But it works. It means that you can plug it into a computer and the computer recognizes all the different buttons. And so it's it's good. Like, it's pretty darn accurate. It doesn't move around. It's a solid mat. Uh, I haven't had any trouble with, like, stubbing my toe on it. How tall is it? Uh, like, a half an inch. Oh, okay, so that's not too bad. Nope, about half an inch thick. I would not recommend it for an apartment unless you are on the ground floor well i don't doubt that um i need to move it to the basement because when i play on it it shakes the house <laughs> you can be anywhere in the house and you will know that someone is playing on this thing it's so pretty this light is a, too th- I should this also is a say basement that. sort of thing yeah this is this is like put it down on a concrete floor because... now how does this compare because i know was it pelletier built ones before or was yep, that pelletier built some and and i bought them from him um his design was good, but it was wood and hurt. <laughs> this is metal and plastic. This is what's used in like actual DDR tournaments now, and it's it's pretty accurate. It's very similar to the arcade machine. It's not a perfect replica, but it's pretty darn close. It's also the most expensive thing I think we've reviewed yet. 180 bucks. Yep. I don't know. When we did review the phones, that was slightly expensive. Oh, that's true. Phones are more expensive. But no, this one for it is a very specific item for 170. Now, this this is just the pad, so you would still have to get all of the software and everything, right? Correct. And and some of that software is very old and hasn't been updated in a long time. I'm actually using the copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, etc. of the software I downloaded back in like 2002. <laughs> but okay, so you can you can I'm guessing you, you can could still a, find it online. All right, so but I'm guessing there's there's three things that you could do. You could either a buy yourself an actual arcade machine, which is a bit more expensive. Yes. B buy this or C buy those little flimsy plastic pads that look like the old Nintendo Power. Oh pads God, don't buy 80s. those. That is not an option. No? C is not an option. That's terrible. Those don't work. They slide around. You will fall down and hurt yourself. Don't buy them. If you are going to buy dance pads, this is like the minimum level you should be looking at. 
Okay, so then you'd have to, I'm guessing there's web pages out there that store DDR dance data. Are there like new songs coming out there? Like, could I dance to Shake It Off? What the hell is Shake It Off? What the hell is Shake It Off? Are that, you da, not? Da, da. Yes. That's, okay. Uh, there's, there's, you could if you, if you made it yourself. I don't know if anyone's actually out there still making more files. Are there not new DDR machines out there? Uh, I haven't paid any attention. I don't think so. I mean, the craze kind of ended a long time ago. DDR today as exercise, as schools, as sports. I think most of the stuff now is going towards more the dance evolution stuff with the the Connect and the Wiimotes. Right. Well, there was an arcade cabinet released in 2013. So there's one that's maybe, you know, two years old. Yes, but I don't know. I haven't looked at them, so I don't know what's on them. So you just play in the classics? I just play on the ones that I've got. I've got like over a thousand songs. Oh, well, that gives you some time then. Side note, I've got Bumblebee now going through my head. It's funny that those things are just still just... You know what's amazing is how fast the muscle memory comes back of doing the song. Because I go downstairs and I play these songs that I haven't touched in 10 years and I can still do them. I remember always picking that song with the bagpipes just to piss everybody else off in the... Song with the bagpipes. There was one where it was, it was, it was a lot of da-dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun sort of prancing. Okay. But it had a, like a bagpipe back to it. Oh, everybody hated that one because it's bagpipes. So. I, don't, I don't know which one that is. If you tell me which one it is, I'll see if I've got it. Oh, like I remember any names. Like you remember anything. <laughs> True. Do you remember the random topic for today? Yes, I do actually remember the random topic for today because I have that written down. Okay, what is it? All right, buckle your safety belts. Here we go. In Star Trek First Contact, it's said that first contact with an alien race unites humanity in a way no one ever thought possible when they realize they're not alone in the universe. Poverty, disease, war, they'll all be gone within the next 50 years. Do you think that it is anywhere close to realistic? How do you think humanity would react if we made contact with beings from another planet? That is an excellent question. I don't think 50 years. I don't see it happening that fast. I definitely see it being a a monumental shift, right? It's no longer that we are uh, are separated by country at that point. No. It's we are a species. And I think that having that it would, would actually be a solidifying thing. That said, in every country, there are poor. In every country, there is strife. And so even if we were unified as a species, there'd still be poor. There'd still be strife. There'd still be hunger. We try and get rid of poverty, disease, and all that stuff there, it, theoretically, you'd want to have everybody on the same page, which would theoretically be a communist society, which in theory supposedly should work, but it never works in practice because humans are not one and the same. Every human is different. Every human wants different needs. Every human has different requirements for living. It's communist society, just impractical practicality just will never work. Well, so, wait a minute, because the, the, the Federation was wasn't communistic. Okay, so then how did they get rid of everything and still keep a democratic society? I have no idea. I'm not Gene Roddenberry. <sighs> okay, so if we somehow got some sort of alien message that came down today. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd have to fight the first reaction of kill it. Yes. There'd be a lot of conservative people who would be freaking out when they realize that they are not the center of the universe. So we would have to deal with that one first there. Would it unify the, the world, though? No, I don't think so. Would it set us on the path to being a unified species? Would it set us on the path? It. I'm not sure. I think only if, if the alien species decided to only conduct... Uh, kind of business and relations with humanity as a whole, that until we managed to get ourselves together, they wouldn't actually do anything with us. They wouldn't trade with us. They wouldn't teach us. I mean, there's countless sci-fi stories about uh, the U.S. Or, or some other country, it's usually the U.S., getting out to space and finding aliens and, and having to come back and be like, we got to get our shit together. If we don't, we are going to get creamed. Tons of stories about aliens who've been watching the Earth and waiting and so it might not be so much as a cause and effect as a we have to be unified before we are allowed to make contact. I could see that. It's what's really sad though is the fact that what would unify us against it is some sort of alien threat. 
Because if you think that about is, it, with, that's one possible one. Yes. Th- think about it with like World War Two, when we had an outside threat of the Axis. What happened was all of all of the companies basically joined together to produce materialistic things that would promote a unified um, military force. The I think that's, sharing that's that was a, going on during World War Two was just. I think that's a gross oversimplification. <laughs> Yes, I know. And I'm just trying, I'm, in my head, that's what I see is the fact that there was no Ford, no GM, no Chrysler at the time. They were all basically just producing the same sort of equipment for the military to use. Guess there were still, you know, the individual brands for the consumer on the, on the, the non-military side. But the military basically said, okay, everybody needs to help out with the war effort. Everybody needs to do this, this, and this. And everybody's like, okay, yes, I understand that this is something we need to do. And they just all got together and did it. Yes, it is an extreme simplified argument. Yeah. But think of um, 9-11 when we were attacked that way. What happened is America became extremely unified. Granted, it was not for, you know, a positive outcome. And many uh, bad things were able to be put into place during that it's for America sort of phase. But still, it, it seems like it would have to be a threat for us to actually unify. If, if it was something peaceful, people were like, oh, okay, whatever. And then we'd still keep doing our things. But if, if it, it were a threat. If it were an actual physical threat, then... Then you think that would unify us? Yes. So what if it was a manufactured threat? <laughs> Now we're getting back into conspiracy theory. It's funny you bring that up because actually I was reading some books last year. I think one of them was called Amped. Let me find the Kindle book. I think it was Wired and Amped, the two books that I was reading, and they actually delved into manufactured threats. More in the second book rather than the first, but still it's along those lines. Wired. And they get so many things that are wired. Ah, oh, the book, yeah, by Douglas E. Richards. First book sort of delves into that, but the second one does even more about how to unify everybody and that sort of thing. Okay. It's, it's still a rough question, right? Like, would even a, a threat be enough to unify us? I hope so. A little sad if it didn't. And would it unify us permanently, or would it unify us just for the time that there was the threat? Oh, that's another question, yeah, because once World War II was over, the fracturing became evident again. Yep. So it would have to be a permanent threat, but then we'd be living under a militaristic state the entire time, and that would not be pleasant. Oh, well, uh, I I think that's about what we're going to be able to answer. Yeah, that's it. I don't think we're going to be able to come up with anything more than that. It's, It's too hard a question. That's, it's a heavy question is what that is. So it takes a lot of thought. All right. So, Andy, that's that's 400 episodes. I know. We're leaving on a random topic that makes you just think. All right. That's a wrap. Yeah, that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening.